and saw it was a quarter to 12. I said, Lord, I hadn't even, I hadn't even got to the meat of this thing yet. And uh, told you this morning that I might come back and give you part two. And I, I just haven't been able to shake it off of me. I hadn't been able to, to get rid of it. So we're going to go back and do it again. We're going to do it again. Praise God. And maybe go a little bit farther tonight. Maybe actually get to what I intended to say this morning. Uh, before we, we uh, started following down that trail that the Holy Ghost led us on. And I do believe it was... Holy Ghost directed. I really do. Uh, I believe God was speaking to this assembly. I believe he was talking to us as a church. And I believe he wants to talk to us to some more. And, and uh, you know, I've already thought, I don't know. I don't know. The way this is going, I've, I've never, like I said, I've never, I don't think in, in all the years, I've been preaching now for 45 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. I mean, I'm about to really make myself feel old, but that's, that's three and four times the age of some of you that are in here right now. Uh, that just the ones that are understanding what I'm saying. It, it gets even worse than that with some of the really young ones. Uh, 45 years is a long, long time, but I don't know of any time in 45 years that I've ever started a message on a Sunday morning picked it back up on Sunday night, continued on the same thing that, that same day. And uh, it just kind of dawned on me tonight, if things go the way they went this morning, we may get part three come Tuesday night. I don't know. I'm going to preach it until it's off of me. I'm going to preach it until I feel like God's done with it. And I, I believe God's doing something around here, church. Listen to me. Let me tell you something as your pastor. Let me tell you something. There are, I don't know of any time in my 22 plus years of pastoring this church that I have ever felt more positive about the future of this assembly. Well, I wish some more of you felt that way. I don't know that I've ever felt more positive about what God wants to do around here. And I believe the opportunity is before us. I believe the door is open. I believe God's just waiting on us to step in. When he's done, you're not even going to recognize what we used to be. Things are going to be so different when God gets finished with all of this. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm telling you, I feel good. I feel good. I feel good about the future of this church. So I don't want anybody to, to be mistaken just because I'm preaching about spiritual battles and spiritual warfare. I don't want you to think that it's all doom and gloom and, and I'm feeling down and negative. That's not the case at all. I feel very positive. I feel an assurance in my spirit. God's got it all in control. The songwriter said, I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Anybody else got that feeling? Come on, be honest about it. Anybody else got that feeling? It's going to be okay. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it rising up. I feel it rising up. Doesn't matter. 
We're going to get through it tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Second Samuel chapter 21. And um, beginning with verse number 15, reading down through verse 22 again. I pray that my voice will hold out tonight. You all know and understand. That's the reason why for a long, long time I haven't, I haven't been preaching on Sunday night. It's been a, a real strain on my voice to preach twice uh, on a Sunday. And uh, so I don't generally do it. In fact, I've told Brother Hilton, when you come, you just come prepared to preach because we're just going to plan on that uh, when he comes over to help us. And, and, uh, and so he knows that, and I appreciate his willingness to do that. Uh, but I feel this tonight, and so I figure if God's in it, he'll make sure I got enough voice to get through it. I may lose it all once I get done tonight, but I'll have enough to get through it. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, the interesting thing is, I feel like the Lord's already talked to me about next Sunday night, and it's not this. And I feel like I've at least got a, an idea for the next Sunday night. So you're just going to be stuck listening to me for a while. It's, that's just all there is to it. Hallelujah. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 21 and beginning with verse number 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines and David waxed faint. David waxed faint. David, David almost lost this battle, which means he would have lost his life. Because they weren't playing flag football. This wasn't a game of tag, you're it. What they were tagging with was swords. And if you got tagged, it was over. David waxed faint. Verse 16, and Ishbabinab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. That was his plan. That was his intention. And it looked as if he had gotten the upper hand and was about to accomplish his goal. He thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, secured him or strengthened him, saved him out of that situation and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai. The Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giants. Doesn't it feel like we're reading through Chronicles or something right now? All these names. Um, I ought to find out just how good Brother Hilton is and make him read these names for me. Or maybe someone that's anxious for me to get Brother Hilton to do it. Ah, oh, hallelujah. 
All right, where was I? And it came to pass after this, there was a battle again uh, with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai the Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giants. There was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jair e Oregim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. I will tell you this. The good thing about these names is none of you know how to pronounce them either, so if I say it wrong, you don't know. slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. He also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Not just by the hand of David, but also by the hand of his servants. And so the title that I gave it this morning was It's Your Turn. And so this is just part two. It's still your turn. It's still your turn. Hallelujah. Praise God. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody right now. Can we do that? Let's talk to the Lord. I need the Lord's help. Amen. Once again, the devil doesn't want me preaching this. I need some folks to rally right now. I need some folks to help me right now. Jesus we need your touch right now God we can't do anything unless you help us God I can't preach without your anointing I can't preach without your unction I need the touch of the Holy Ghost but not only upon me I need you to touch this congregation tonight I need you to give them ears to hear what the Spirit is saying I need you oh God to give them hearts to receive minds to understand spirits to respond tonight I want the word of God to have free course in this service and most of all God I want you to bring a change in your people and I want you to save somebody before we leave this house tonight oh we need you Lord come on let's praise it right now let's praise it right now I love you Savior I love you Savior Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I, I, you may be seated. I do need, uh, there, there are some that, 
that uh, did not hear this morning, I need to take just a minute to lay a little bit of a foundation, a little bit of a review as to what we are talking about in this message tonight. Amen. I started out this morning by just reminding everyone that David, more than anything else, was and is known to be a giant killer. That's the one story that people know about David if they don't know anything else about him. They know that he killed a giant. Some of them may not even remember the giant's name, but they know about David and the giant. Hallelujah. David was known to be a giant killer. He was known, and and I brought out this morning the enemy that watched him slay their champion. They went back telling everybody, you better watch out for that David. He knows how to kill giants. We talked about David taking the head of Goliath and running to Jerusalem and waving it in the faces of the enemy and letting them know you're next. I'm not done here. This is not my last victory. Now remember, up until this point, David had only been a shepherd boy. He hadn't done anything else. He'd never been out to battle. But that day, something got a hold of him. And when the anointing came on him and he slew the giant, that same anointing moved on him to run out there to Jerusalem and let him know, I may have won this battle, but this is not Alpha and Omega for me. This is not just a a man of one-shot wonder. I'm going to tell you, I'll be back. I'm going to bring more victories. I'm going to fight more giants I'm not finished you hadn't seen the last of me the enemy knew it the children of Israel knew it they sang David's praises Saul slain his thousands David his ten thousands everybody knew David was a giant killer everybody understood David had that experience under his belt you know I I suppose that at this point in David's life, once you've had this kind of experience, you can look back on it. It's kind of like riding a bike, you know. I hadn't ridden one in a few years, but I can guarantee I could get on one tonight and ride it. Nobody have to teach me how to balance myself again. They might have to teach the bike how to hold up under my weight, but they're not going to have to teach me how to balance myself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Put some heavy-duty shocks on that thing. Tell it, get ready. Get ready, because the load you're about to bear is pretty heavy. But I can promise you I can do it. I've got enough years' experience behind me. And those things you just don't forget. And I'm going to tell you, when the Philistines rose up, this is many years later, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where David slew Goliath. But we get into 2 Samuel 21. Many, many years have passed. David is well up in age. And all of a sudden, the the giants, the sons of Goliath, whom David had slain, have now decided we're going back and we're going to bring vengeance for the life of our father. We're going to do something Now I pointed out to you this morning that it wasn't so much that they had Israel in their sights. What they had in their sights was David. They wanted to bring down the leader. They wanted to bring down the man in charge. Because if they could slay David, then they knew without leadership, the people are not going to know how to fight, when to fight. 
So if we can bring that leader down, we've got them then. It's going to be an easy battle from that point. So they came. They came with their minds made up. We're going to do war. But I got one name on the tip of my sword. There's one man I want. And that's it. Amen. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Ishmael be not thought to have slain David. Not he came to see how many he could kill. But he said, I got one I want to kill and that's it. I'm coming after David. Now, even though David was a giant killer, even though David was trained and experienced at this point, David wasn't the 16-year-old shepherd boy that he had been when he won that victory over Goliath. David was now an aged king who had sat on the throne for years. He's fought a number of battles. He is a trained warrior at this point. David's got a lot of experience under his belt. David knows what he's doing. And I'm going to tell you that same feeling that rose up in David when David stood out there as a teenager and looked at that man nine feet tall and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David didn't even call him a giant. David didn't even consider him a champion. To him, he's just another devil that needs brought down. Come on, church. I'm telling you, that's the way we got to get about the battles we fight. We, we got to quit focusing on how big they are. We got to quit talking about how fierce they are and just understand, look, I don't care the size. I don't care the strength. I'm going in the name of the Lord and the same God that delivered David is going to deliver me. Is there not a cause? I'm telling you, that same feeling must have rose up in David when he saw Ishbah Binab. You know, most of the time, there's at least some resemblance between a father and a son. There's, there's at least some resemblance most of the time. You look hard enough. Now, sometimes, you know, the son looks more like the mom, and I understand that, but even then, you usually find something about them. Their eyes, their ears, their teeth a wart on the end of their nose or something. There's something there. There's something there. And I got a feeling that David, even as, as an aged king, he took one look at Ishbi Binab and he said, I recognize you. I know who you are. I know who your daddy was. And I wasn't afraid of your daddy. And I ain't afraid of you. I'm just, I believe that happened. I believe something rose up in the heart of David. And he said, I wasn't afraid of your daddy. And I ain't afraid of you. Bring it on, big boy. You, you don't intimidate me. You don't scare me. I'm not afraid. I'm not going to cower. I'm not going to hide. You want to fight? Then just bring it on. He's rolling up his sleeves. He's getting ready to fight. 
Sister Ohm, I believe that's what happened. Because I don't find David saying, hey guys, come here and help me. Obviously they were there. Obviously they were standing by. Hello? Because Abishai was close enough to come in when he was needed. So he was there. But I don't find where David said, come on, I need some help here. I'm telling you, David just... The Bible says that when David was 16 and he saw Goliath and Goliath started making all of his boasts, the Bible says David ran to meet Goliath. He wasn't the least bit scared. There wasn't a yellow streak anywhere on David's spine. I can tell you, he just went running out there. And the years that David has got behind him now and the many times he's watched God defend his kingdom, the many times he's seen God come through, the many prayers that God has answered. I'm going to tell you, David wasn't a coward when he was a boy and he's not a coward now that he's an older man. And he's squaring his shoulders back. He's not running as fast as he did when it was Goliath out there. But I just got a feeling he went running. He had every intention. I'm going to bring this giant down just like I've brought every other giant down. Oh, I feel this tonight. You don't know what you just did, Ishbabinab. You don't know what you just stirred up in me. I hadn't felt this since I was a boy. But there's something inside of me that says I'm going to fight. I'm going to give this one all I've got. In fact, I don't know. But what David might have said, you got any more brothers at home? Bring them. I'll take them on too. I'll whip the whole lot of you. Oh, Lord, help me. This is why I say well, I may have to have part three come Tuesday night. I may not get as far as I wanted to. You know, I, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's one thing I like about the Bible is that even the Bible, he wrote, God does not try to hide the flaws, the mistakes, the failures of the men we consider heroes. God shows, he tells us when these men made mistakes so we can know God uses flawed people. But I'll tell you one flaw that I don't find in any of the Bible heroes. At least not when God used them. There's one exception I'll mention in a minute. But when God really started using them. One thing I don't find about any of the Bible heroes is I don't find any of them effeminate. I don't find David out there limp-wristed. I'm going to hit you with my purse. Now, I said there was an exception. You, you know, you, you do have to wonder a little bit about Jacob. Seriously. Because his brother's out here hunting and Jacob's at home cooking. E Esau was a daddy's boy and Jacob was a mama's boy. That, that's just a fact. 
But I'll tell you this, before God ever changed his name, do you know what God made him do? Get up, get up. God said, I'm going to fix you. I ain't having no sissies in my kingdom. I don't know if this is a rigging revised version, but, but that's really what went on. And the Bible says there, Jacob did what? I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. God said, if you're going to do anything for me, you better get that sissy stuff out of you. finish this sermon now I should have done that 30 years ago but I wasn't playing around oh hallelujah listen you guys may not remember one thing I said tonight but you'll always remember this message This is one that all of you are going to wish that somebody was videoing. <laughs> but you're not. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you tell I feel good? I feel good. I feel good. I'm going to tell you, there's something in David. I really believe with all of my heart, I really believe that it was just in David's mind. If you're one of Goliath's sons, I'm just telling you now, if you've got any brothers, you better bring them too. Do you think you're taking me down? You're not taking me down. I showed that to your daddy when I wasn't but 16 years old. And you're nothing but a young pipsqueak. You may be oversized, but you're still a boy compared to me. And furthermore, my God will bring you down just like he brought your daddy down. Come on, Ishbi Binob. Let's get this thing going. But something happened. Something happened. And David's out there giving it his best. And the next thing you know, Ishbi Benob standing over him with a sword. I'm talking about the giant killer. I'm talking about the man who knew how to bring down the enemy. He'd done it many times. I'm talking about, I don't know when, but if he was 16 when he killed Goliath, he must have been younger than that. When a bear came out. And he fought the bear. Not with a high-powered rifle. And a lion came out. That's what the Bible says. A lion came out, and David single-handedly fought and killed the lion. 
So I'm telling you, he's looking at each by b knob, and he's probably making fun of his name just like you are. But all of a sudden, David's not laughing anymore. In fact, the Bible says he waxed faint. I can see him. He's breathing hard. He's trying to make his eyes focus. He may have lost some blood. And he's thinking, how did this happen? How? 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 How did he get the upper hand? I've, I've never lost a battle. I've never had a Philistine defeat me. How? How's this happening? And this might be not really believed he was about to kill David. But he didn't. And you know why he didn't? We read it in our text. The reason why he didn't. Now, you're not just sitting there for me to wrestle with you. You're sitting there to read some scriptures too, so. So get those scriptures out and get that microphone on and help me out a little bit here. Quit fighting with me and work with me. Second Samuel 21 and 17. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, secured him and smote the Philistine. And killed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's stop right there for just a minute. I'm going to tell you what's happening. David is going down. And he's going down fast. And he's about to lose it. And he's about to die. But somebody realized the seriousness of the moment. And said, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What are we doing standing back here? Why are we waiting on David to do all the fighting? Why does David have to be the only one that's a giant killer? He's shown us by example that he'll take on any devil that comes against us. And even now, as he's up in years, he's still out there fighting with everything he's got. I'm not going to sit back and let David die. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but as far as I'm concerned, it's my turn. I'm going to have that title for a while. I've got a giant in my sights. I'm going to bring this one down. You don't have to worry about it, David. You just hang on for a little while. Help is on the way. Hallelujah. Hang on, David. Hang on, David. Hang on, David. We've watched your example. We've seen you fight. We know you're not afraid. You're not cowering in fear even now. The only reason you're down is because you gave it your best. But for whatever reason. Now listen to me. I don't care how old David was. I don't care how feeble he had gotten. It wasn't David that killed Goliath in the first place. It was God. And God wasn't any older. And God wasn't any more feeble. God wasn't any weaker. 
But for some reason, God didn't choose to let David kill this giant. Are you hearing me tonight? God made a decision. This man has fought these battles all these years. Why is David the only giant killer in Israel? And so God said, I tell you what, I'm not going to step in and help David kill this one because it's about time somebody else rose to the occasion. It's about time somebody else decided I got to fight too. This is not a one man show. It's not up to one individual. Somebody else is going to have to become a giant killer. Is anybody feeling what I'm feeling right now? Somebody else has got to make up in their minds. We're not going to let a defeat be marked against us. We're not going to let our kingdom go down. We're not going to let our nation suffer. We're not going to let our leader be killed. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to fight. Abishai, Abishai secured him, strengthened him, helped him, pulled him out of that mess, got him out of there before the, before the enemy killed him. But he not only pulled the leader out of the problem, he said, I'm not done. He smote the Philistine. But he didn't just smite him. Because, you know, you can't smite somebody. That doesn't mean you put them to death. The Bible says of Jesus that he gave his back to the smiters. His cheeks to the smiters. Listen, I'm the word smite doesn't mean to destroy. Abishai smote the Philistine, but he didn't stop with smiting him. He didn't just give him a black eye. He didn't just give him a broken nose. He didn't just kick him in the ribs a few times and send him running home crying to mama. He said, uh-uh, old boy, you pick this fight. Are you hearing me? He said, you pick this fight. That's what the Bible says. You, not that the Bible says he said that to the Philistine, but the Bible says they're the ones that came up against Israel. They had war against Israel. They decided we're going to fight. And Abishai said, you pick this fight. You started it. What's the next line? You started it. I'm going to finish it. And he did. He not only saved his leader, but he smote that Philistine. He did some damage to him. But when he got through doing damage, he said, I'm not finished yet. And he finally gave that fatal blow. And he said, you're never going to bother us or our leader again. It's over for you. You're not even going to have a chance to go wild. 
to mama. You're not going to have a chance to tell somebody this wasn't a fair fight. You're not going to have a chance to lie about it because I'm ending your career right here, right now. And with Ishbah Binab laying dead and the men tending to David's wounds strengthening David the Bible says they swear unto him that doesn't mean they started cussing him that means they were making an oath they were making a lifelong fully binding commitment to David and they said this is the oath that we're making finish that verse then the men of Israel then the, the men, men of David, David swear, swear unto him, him saying, saying thou shalt thou go no more shalt go out no more with us to battle out. thou shalt go no more out with us to battle that thou quench that not thou the light quench of Israel not the light of Israel David you're the anointed one. You're the one that God gave to us as our leader. And I'm going to tell you, you've had your time. You've fought the Philistines. You've brought us victories. But we want you to know, David, we've reached a moment where you're not going to be the only giant killer in Israel anymore. And we swear unto you this day that when the next giant sticks its ugly head up, you're not going to have to spend the night fighting him. You're not going to have to expend your energy trying to destroy him. We're not going to take a chance on another one getting the upper hand with you. We want to swear to you this day, David, it's our turn to fight. Right. Come on. Not because somebody's making us, but because we understand the importance of this battle. There's something in our hearts. We are ready now. It's our turn to become giant killers. And they kept their word. Verse 18 through 22, read. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Yeah. And Sibachai. Yeah. And Hushathite. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Saf, which was the son of the giant. Yeah, he's another one of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle. And then there's another battle. With the Philistines. Yeah. Where Elhan Elhanan. Yeah, yeah. The son, the of, son of this other guy. Yeah. Of, of he's from Bethlehem. Slew the brother of Goliath. So I got you out of that one. Don't forget it. Don't Thank forget, you. you owe me one. All right. All right. Slew the brother of Goliath. The staff of whose spear was like a weaver's spear beam. Like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle. And there was Gath. another battle at Gath. Where it was a man of great there stature. There was a man of great stature. He had on every hand had on six, every fingers, hand, six and every fingers and every foot six, foot six toes, toes. Four and twenty in number. And, twenty in number. and he also was, and born, he to also was born to the and giant. And he defied Israel. Jonathan, he defied Israel. Jonathan. Jonathan. David's nephew. Slew him. These four, and these four, were born to the giant, the giant Gath, fell by the and hand they of fell. David. They fell by the hand of David, and by the hand of his servants. Of his servants. They made a promise, David. You're not going to have to fight these battles anymore. 
Now I'm going to tell you when it says they fell by the hand of David evidently the best I can figure that's referring to whatever damage David had already done to Ishbi Benob before his help came in. David did do some damage evidently. So by the hand of David and after that one after Ishbi Benob the rest of them came down, not through David. We don't read of David even being there, but these men one by one rose to the occasion and said, all right, it's my turn. I like this. I like this. It wasn't Abishai every time. It wasn't just one man that stood up and said, I'm going to be there, David. I'm going to take care of you. That was not the idea. One man fought one giant. The next time a giant came, there was somebody else that rose up and said, all right, it's my turn. Yeah. And another giant rose up and there was a third man that said, all right, now it's my turn. Oh, I wish that kind of a spirit could spread across this congregation. I wish we'd quit sitting back and letting everybody else do all the fighting for us. I wish somebody would say, it's my turn, Brother Hilton. It's my turn. I've watched. Amen. I've seen other devils drop, but it's my turn. It's my turn. I'm coming out tonight. I'm going to fight tonight. Oh, come on, let's praise the Lord. Come on, Abishai, where are you? Abishai, where are you tonight? I'm looking for Sibachai tonight. I'm looking for Sibachai. I'm looking for El Hanan tonight. I'm looking for Jonathan tonight. I'm scanning the congregation and I'm saying, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I'm not afraid to take on another giant. I've been fighting giants all my life. I'm not scared of that devil. You hear me? I didn't know if I was, uh, I didn't know if I was even going to tell my wife this, so put your fingers in your ears. No, you. I've told you how Brother Herring has been so sensitive to the Lord and how he's sent me scriptures time after time and given me words from God. And it's always proven to be true. This morning early, he sent me a text. And he said, I just want you to know, I was in prayer this morning. He said, the next time you get to Africa, there is a battle you're going to fight. He said, but don't be afraid. He said, God's going to take care of this one for you. Well, I'm going to tell you, before I even read that part, there wasn't any fear in me. I'm not trying to be foolish and stupid. But I'm going to tell you, something rose up in me, and I'm saying, bring it on, devil. Bring it on, devil. I'm sick and tired of what you've been doing. I know what God promised. I hadn't even read the scripture yet that he sent me. Didn't matter to me at that moment. I said, I'm ready, devil. I'll fight you. 
years old. I may be reaching, amen, the twilight years. I don't know, but I know this much. There's still some fight down in this old boy. You know what I feel like saying to that devil tonight? And I know he may be in Africa waiting on me, but I believe he can hear me. And if he can't, there's enough devil couriers around here to take the message back to him. So you just tell him I said this. You think you're going to bring me down? You and what army? about it the scripture he sent me is almost disappointment because the scripture he sent me said you shall not have to fight in this battle for this battle is not yours it's the Lord's I was ready <laughs> I was ready I was ready well praise God no 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 look I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be lighthearted. I'm telling you spiritual warfare is a very serious thing it's a very serious thing and I'm not trying to just slough this off I'm just telling you I, I'm not preaching to you tonight that we need some more giant killers because I'm ready to just prop my feet up in the recliner and do nothing and just enjoy some time now where I can kick back and I'm not going to be involved or engaged that's not what I'm asking for I still got plenty of fight in me but this much I know God wouldn't let David kill Ishbabinab and the Lord told me when I got back here a year ago he told me then this is a spirit I'm not going to let you destroy it's not that I don't want to it's not that I don't have the strength it's not that I don't have the willpower but I can't do anything if God doesn't help me and he's already said he's not going to let me do it so you know what I need tonight Abishai hey Abishai I'm not afraid of this devil but if God's not going to help me he might kill me I need Abishai I don't feel no ways tired and I'm kind of feeling that way again right now that's a bad thing I gotta try to quit preaching at some point you all are gonna start feeling tired you're gonna get tired of hearing this long-winded preacher I gotta get this I gotta get as much of it off of me as I can tonight all right gotta get as much of it off of me as I can hallelujah 
God's already told me that what we're facing, what we're dealing with, he's not going to let me defeat it. He's just not. Now, we're talking about what we're facing as a church. And evidently, I'm must not going to have to face the one in Africa either. God's going to take care of that one for me. And it may just be because of who's going with me this time. I don't know. I, I got... I know, I know, brother Rocky Dunlap. I, I'm telling you, he's a, he's a spiritual powerhouse. I really feel that way about the man. He's a great man. That man walks in the Holy Ghost. He, he's, maybe God's going, I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to come about, but I know this. God said, I'm not going to have to fight. I'm ready to. I'm willing to. I'll give it everything I got. But I'm talking about what we're facing right here as a church. There's a spirit that wants to destroy us. Listen to me. We may forget every prophecy that comes across this pulpit. We may forget the exact wording of the promises God issues through men that he directs our way. We may not remember exactly how it was said or exactly what was promised, but I can promise you one thing. The devil doesn't forget. He knows. He knows what was promised. He knows what was prophesied. And if there's anything the devil wants, it's to try to make God out a liar. He wants to try to prove some prophecy to not be true. He hadn't succeeded. From the beginning of the, from the foundation of the world, he hadn't succeeded. And he's not going to succeed going forward, but he's sure going to try. And I'm telling you, he's heard every promise, he's heard every prophecy, and he wants to destroy it. And he wants to bring this church down. And God has said, he's not going to let me fight this one. So somebody's sitting on these pews is going to have to rise to the occasion. Somebody sitting on these pews is going to have to spend some nights in prayer and some days in fasting. We're not, we're not talking about playing a game of chess here. Or, you know, when I was a kid, they got it electronically now, you, you can do it, and, but, but when I was a kid, we had these little boards where you put little pegs on one side. You had, you had, a little, you know, you had your, your battleship and you had your aircraft carrier and you had submarine, whatever. That, that was the, name of the, the name of the game was Battleship. And you'd, you'd call out an area that you're dropping a bomb, and if it hit their boat, then they, they had to tell you, you know, that, that particular spot. And you figure out, all right, where's that ship positioned? And, and, uh, and that, but it was all a game. We're not playing games. This is for keeps. This is for keeps. And it's not going to be an easy job. David, I keep saying this, but I want to drive it home. David was an experienced giant killer. And he couldn't win against Ishbi Benob. Abishai didn't just walk in and step on Ishbi Benob's big toe and send him running home. It was a fight. You hear me? It was a real 
genuine fight. But he knew it was worth it. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs me, if it means nights without sleep, so be it. If it means days without food, so be it. I don't care what it's going to take, but I'm going to win this battle. David has killed enough giants and kept me safe through the years. It's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. Lord, have mercy. What time is it? Oh, Jesus. All right, all right, all right. I don't know how far to go. I don't know how far to go. I don't know how far to go for. I just have to tell you we stop. Can you take a little bit more tonight? Will you? Will you? Uh-oh, that wasn't a very good response there. Who said preach? Who said that? Who said it? All right, then you have to stay till I get done, all right? If everybody else walks out, you can't. You got to stay till I get done. All right. All right. And don't go to sleep. All right, all right. Hallelujah. Let me, let, me just, let me just talk to you from my heart. I said this morning I was going to become very transparent and uh, that makes me very vulnerable. But I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to do it tonight because I want to drive the point home to you. I want this church to understand. I want you to understand. This is a principle that God has established. And it's going to be true in every one of our lives. That there will always be a giant you can't conquer. And somebody else is going to have to come in and fight that giant for you. If I'm preaching to somebody here tonight that's struggling with addictions or you're struggling with certain, certain uh, things in your life you can't break free of, let me just interrupt this message to bring you a public service announcement tonight. I want you to know you're not going to break that thing by yourself. But you have come to the right place. There are people here that can help you. Not through hours of counseling. Not through pills and tablets. But if you'll come to an altar and ask God to deliver you, there are people here that'll pray with you until those giants are dead and laying at your feet. And you'll walk out of here victorious. Don't think you're just going to make up your mind to quit. It ain't going to happen that way. God has built this thing so that we need one another if we're going to be victorious. All right? All right? Nearly 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, I was going through a very, very dark time in my life. One of the darkest moments I've ever experienced. Now, I think those of you that have been around any amount of time, you know when I'm going through those times. I don't tell you I'm going through those times. You don't see it on me when I get behind the pulpit unless I feel impressed of God to try to rally some folks to pray. But most of the time, I'm going to rely upon men of God that I've made myself accountable to. They will know that I'm going through it. 
But as far as the saints are concerned, we're just going to come in here and have church. And I'm going to smile, and I'm going to preach revival. I'm going to preach faith. It's just the way that I do it. I don't, I don't want anybody's pity. I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. God's going to take care of me. I'm telling you, this was a dark moment. And I was. I had, I had uh, I'd called Elder Gary Howard, and I was, it, it, it was reaching a place that I, I, I couldn't even think how to respond. I couldn't think what's the next step. I couldn't. I had counseled others, but it was so difficult and so heavy and so dark. I couldn't come to any conclusions on my own. And I knew that if I tried, I would probably mess things up. And so I called Elder Howard, and I let him know my life is in your hands, yours and God's. You tell me what to do. Whatever you think I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I did it. At times he told me to do things. I'm just telling you the truth. That went against everything that was screaming inside my spirit. It did not make sense to me. It didn't line up to my logic. It seemed like the worst possible thing I could do. But I trusted my life in the hands of that man of God. I said, this is what he told me to do. So this is what I'm going to do. Can I tell you that after a long and lengthy battle, it reached a point that I realized, Brother Hilton, things are not going to turn out like I hoped. Things are not going to come out the way I was praying and wishing that they would. I had spent nights, entire nights in prayer. I had fasted. I had poured everything I had into it. But when it came down to it, it went the exact opposite of what I knew was best. But the problem, the people I was trying to reach, the people I was trying to help, the people I was pouring myself into, had already succumbed to that spirit and refused to even try to break free. And the more I tried to pull them, the more they tried to get out of my grasp until finally they did what they wanted. And there was nothing I could do about it. Now I'm going to tell you, after you've spent months praying and fasting, weeping, crying, doing things at the advice of your elder that, that went against your nature, you'd given it everything you've got and then you watch and it looks like everything just collapsed before you. Can I be honest with you? I was feeling pretty low. In fact, I was feeling very low. I don't know that up to that moment that I had ever felt as low as I felt that day. I don't think, Brother Chad, that there 
up to that time, I don't think I had ever experienced any darkness so black. And I didn't know what to do. Everything in me said, what's the use? tried you've tried I'm just being transparent tonight I I hope this doesn't cause you to lose confidence in me I'm a human being I'm just telling you what happened and I I reached rock bottom all I knew to do was come back to the church I wasn't going to give up on God I'm telling you, nothing, nothing I've ever experienced would cause me to want to give up on him. He's been too good to me. And I knew there was just no place else to go. I didn't want to see anybody right then. I didn't want to talk to anybody right then. I didn't want to be around anybody right then. I just wanted to get alone. Honestly, I didn't even know if I could pray right then. Not because I was mad at God, but I was just so despondent. I was so far down. I didn't even know what to do. I just, I just knew somehow I got to get to the house of God. I, and I, I, didn't, I didn't walk into the sanctuary. I, when I got here, I walked into my office. And if I remember correctly, I had not even sat down yet. And the phone started ringing. I didn't want to talk to anybody, you hear me? I didn't want to answer that phone. I was not in the mood to have to deal with anything right now. I felt like I was on the precipice myself, about to be pushed over a cliff. And I just knew I'm not in a frame of mind to be of any service to anybody right now. But the phone's ringing. And my wife can tell you one thing about me. I can't stand for the phone to ring and me just let it go. I just can't. Honestly, I'm telling you the truth. Every time it rings, I'm worried. Is some saint in need? I don't, I just, I cannot ignore that phone. I'm always worried somebody might need help. And it's going to be that moment that I ignore it. So, so if you ever call me and you get my voicemail, no, I'm either on the phone or I didn't hear it ring or something, but I can promise you I'm not ignoring your call. I can promise you that. And so here I stand, in the worst shape I had ever been in, and the church phone's ringing. And so I did what I always do. I picked it up. And a voice on the other end of the line said, Brother Riggin, this is Brother Howard. He said, I'm in Florida right now. He said, I'm preaching a meeting this week. He said, I just got back into my hotel room. And he said, when I walked into the hotel room, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and told me to call you. He said, Brother Regan, 
I want to give you a word from God right now. And I'm telling you, he began to talk. And as he talked, the peace of God flooded my soul. I don't remember everything he said. I wrote some things down. I do remember one moment when it was really, I, I, could, I could feel the intensity of the Holy Ghost. And I remember him saying, Brother Regan, hear what I'm telling you because this is not me speaking. This is the Holy Ghost. I knew it. I knew it was. I knew it was. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what he did. He said, God gave me a scripture to give you. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Stay with me just a little bit here. Genesis chapter 14. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram. This is verses 21 to 24. The king of Sodom said to Abram. Give me the persons. Uh-huh. And take the goods to thyself. Uh-huh. And Abram said unto the king of Sodom. I have left up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Yes. That I will not take from a, I need, I may, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now listen, Abraham is refusing to take a reward from the hands of man. That's what he said. He had just gone out and defeated kings. Abraham's not a nation. You understand? He's not a kingdom. But he's got five kingdoms he's just overthrown. And one of those is wanting to reward him. Now, you know, I mean, it was common then and for centuries afterwards to the victor belong the spoils. Abraham won, it was just his right to keep all of this. So really, this, the king of Sodom wasn't really doing him any favor. Brother Howard, in fact, dealt with this the other night. And when he was preaching, I remembered that phone call. It was just another, to me, it was just another confirmation of all that God's been doing. And he read that passage then. And, but let me, let me get to where I'm going here. When, when he re- was reading this over the phone, Abraham said, Abraham had a right to it. The king of Sodom, pretending to be generous, said, oh, well, we'll just give you this. Well, it was his anyhow. He'd won it. But Abraham said, no, I'm not taking it. The only thing we're going to keep is the food that we had to eat to nourish ourselves while we were fighting. That's it. We're not taking anything else. I will not let you say, you made me rich. His idea was, I'm not going to let man reward me. Because I'm waiting on a bigger reward. And so that's the end of chapter 14. The very next verse, 
chapter 15 verse 1 says this after these things after these things the word of the lord came unto the word abram of the lord came to abram in a vision saying fear not abram. fear not abram i am thy i shield. am thy shield and thy exceeding, and thy great, exceeding reward. great reward god said abram you've done this right and because you did it right I'm not just going to be your reward I'm not just going to be your great reward I'm going to be your exceeding great reward and brother Howard under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost nearly 20 years ago as he was relating and he read that story he said to me brother Riggin you have done this thing right the outcome is not your fault. You've done it right. You've done everything you've been told to do. And you have not sought the applause nor the rewards of men. And he said, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, God is going to be your exceeding great reward. You know what happened? There was an old giant that was on me that day. And he thought to have slain me. But God raised up a giant killer. God raised up somebody else that said it ain't happening not today not ever i'm preaching to you church i'm being vulnerable i'm laying myself out because i want you to know if it's true for the preacher it's true for everybody if there are spirits i can't kill there's spirits you can't kill oh jesus I'm trying, I promise. I know you're getting weary. I can tell you're getting weary. I, I, gotta, I gotta try to stop. I gotta try to stop, but I'm just not ready to stop. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Maybe, maybe I can. Let me give you one more story and maybe I can skip the rest of this and, and just make my point and have a good altar call. So that was... That was close to 20 years ago, all that happened. But let's get a little closer to the present. It's only been a little over a year ago. We found ourselves, my wife and I, And this church found ourselves in a very heated battle. Many folks didn't even know what was going on. They just knew. They felt uneasy. They felt something was happening. But for us, for us, it was extremely intense. So intense that the experience I just described to you paled in comparison to what I was feeling then. I had spent Saturday night trying to talk to and counsel someone, trying to help them while I was in the middle of this great battle myself. 
I didn't go to sleep that night at all. Next day was Mother's Day and Brother Hilton had already asked me to come and be in service with them that afternoon. They were having afternoon service on Sundays and he'd already asked me to come and be in service with him. I let him know. I said, I'm not, I'm not in a frame of mind where I can preach right now. I can't, I can't do that. I won't be any help to you. And then especially after I'd spent the entire night awake, counseling, talking, reaching, I just wasn't in a frame of mind to do it. We went off to that service, standing there at the front of, now those of you who just went to Lynn Valley, you, you've seen the beautiful sanctuary they have now, but at that time they were still in that fellowship hall. There was no platform per se, they just had a pulpit at one end of the room. And I was standing there in what would have been the platform area. Brother Hilton was doing a masterful job at preaching. In fact, I tell you, I, it was one of those moments where in the midst of even the darkness, there was a glimmer of, can we call it sanctified pride that swept over me? Because I sat there thinking, I feel like I'm listening to myself here. This man's doing things just like I do them. He's teaching and preaching just like I do. And, and uh, I was glad. But in the midst of all of that, something started settling on me. And at first I thought, I'm just weary. I've been up all night. I haven't had any sleep. I've been up now for nearly 48 hours. and I'm, It's just exhaustion. I'm just tired. But it just kept coming. And it just kept getting worse. And I finally, when service was over, I went to my wife and I said, honey, stay here in fellowship as much as you want, but I, I'm really feeling bad right now. I'm going to have to just go out to the truck and just sit down. So I went out there and kind of laid the seat back a little bit and just tried to rest. But the longer I laid there, the worse I felt. Little while she came out and she said, Well, since it's Mother's Day, they're wanting to take us to eat. They they want us to go to a restaurant with them. And I said, Well, let's go. We need to go. You need to spend Mother's Day with your girls. And let's 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 go. I'll I'll be all right. I'm just I'm just exhausted. Let's go. So we went. We sat there at the table and I I tried ordering, I tried fellowshipping, I tried talking, and it just reached a point I couldn't. I again told my wife, said, I'm sorry. Please don't rush for my sake. But I don't know that I've ever felt so bad. I, I guess I'm just completely exhausted. I've never felt this tired in all my life. I've never felt this bad. It's more than just tired. I just I really feel bad. And I said, just stay. Please don't rush for my sake. I'll be fine. I just want to go sit in the truck again and I went out there and I just laid the seat as far back as I could and, and as I lay there it just got worse and worse and worse. Finally she came out and I said you're going to have to drive us home. I, I can't. And as she was driving to the house this 
this darkness was just settling on me. This, this feeling of, I don't even know how to describe it, settling on me. And I kept telling her, honey, I, I, I feel terrible. I don't know what's going on, but something's bad wrong. I'm, I'm feeling really bad. Finally, we pulled up to the house, and when I walked in through the garage there and into that kitchen area, I stood there for just a moment. And the next thing I knew, my eyes erupted in tears. And my mind, I'm just being transparent tonight, all right? I'm just making myself vulnerable, but I'm telling you, in that moment, I no longer had control of my thoughts. I could hear one thing going over and over in my mind. You might as well quit and leave. They're going to destroy you. They're going to destroy you. They will destroy you. That's all I could hear. And I couldn't think. I couldn't. At that moment, I'm telling you the truth. At that moment, I couldn't even get my wits about me enough to start rebuking anything. I couldn't pray. Literally could not pray. At that point, it had such a grip on me. And I was crying. And I couldn't get any words out except help me, help me, help me. And my wife's saying, honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? I can't answer. I'm just saying, help me, help me. And there was a desperation that began to, to arise. And I'm, I'm screaming, I'm crying, help me. Finally, she guided me into the living room. I, I, I more or less fell into my recliner, and I'm just crying, I'm weeping, and I'm just praying. I'm not praying. I can't, I can't think to pray. I'm just yelling, help, help, help me, help me. I'm telling you, at that moment, I couldn't do anything to help myself. Again, I hope you don't lose confidence in me because I'm just being honest with you tonight. I've got a point in what I'm saying. But at that moment when things had reached its worst, Pastor Johnny Burgess texted me. They had just gotten out of church and he was just checking on me. And my wife picked up the phone and saw the text. And she wrote him back and said, please call, we need you. And he called. She put the phone up to my ear and I can't say anything. I can't tell him anything. I can't talk to him. I can't describe what's going on. I'm just saying, help, please help, please help. He said, Brother Regan, what's wrong? I can't say anything. I can't tell him anything. And he laid the phone down. He went running back into the sanctuary, told me later there were, I think he said about 25 or 30 people in the sanctuary still uh, after church was over. And he said, he ran in there and said, I need some prayer warriors to hit your knees right now and plead the blood of Jesus. Brother Regan needs a miracle. And they started praying. And he came back and he grabbed the phone again. And he started praying with 
everything he had in him. He's praying. By this time, my wife had gotten a hold of Brother Brandon Hilton, Brother Merriman, Brother Goff. She told him, you've got to get to our house immediately. Something's got to happen. We need God to help us. Those men came. I'm going to tell you, I will never, as long as I live, I will never forget the look of absolute terror that was on this man's face when he walked into my living room and saw me in that condition. His eyes were like silver dollars. He stood there for a moment, and then he ran. He threw his arms around me, put me in a bear hug, and began to pray. Brother Merriman arrived. Brother Goff came later. But they, they knelt down. They started praying. They started rebuking the spirit. And I'm telling you, prayer, intense prayer was going up until finally things started to lift. And finally, I'm getting clarity in my mind. And finally, I'm saying, wait a minute. This is not exhaustion. This is a demon. And I began to pray. And I began to rebuke it. And I did everything. I, and I'm telling you, together, all of us together, we began to bind that spirit. And it finally lifted. And the glory of God fell in that living room. And God gave me back my mind. I'm telling you the truth tonight. But the next day, I got up and I started to go through the day and I could feel that same feeling that had started the day before and it's settling on me again. And I'm saying, no, 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 I can't. I, I know what it is this time. I can't, I can't, I can't. But I couldn't shake it. I didn't realize Brother, Brother uh, Hilton and I think Brother Merriman too had both called Brother Howard that next day and talked to him about what had gone on. And they said, we're concerned about our pastor. We're concerned about what's happened. What do we do? How do we deal with this? And you remember the words that Brother Howard said to you. What did he tell you? He's fought, he's fought his own, he's fought many, many uh, giants. He's fought my giants. It's time for you to rise up and fight for him. That's exactly what he said. He told me later. He said, Bishop Howard said to me, your pastor has fought your giants all these years, but it's time for you to rise up and fight his. You know what I'm preaching to new life tonight? I'm telling you, there are spirits that are strong enough and powerful enough. We're not going to conquer them on our own. We've got to have somebody else step in. There's got to be an Abishai for every one of us. Come on, church. This is not a downer message. This is not, this is not a time to get depressed. I'm just telling you, I warned you more than a year ago, that spirit was on the loose. It was going to attack people. You know what? I came in and taught for weeks on spiritual warfare. And you know what happened? People, people had their guard up for a little while. People kind of watched it for a little while. But after a year, everybody grew complacent. Everybody decided, oh, it's, it's not here. We're not going to have to fight anymore. And now all of a sudden we're watching as it devours this one. And it devours that one because people aren't fighting. I'm going to tell you what needs to happen. Somebody has got to become an Abishai and say, devil, you're not getting another one. Devil, you're not winning another battle. Devil, I'm going to bring you down. Come on, is there anybody
somebody in this house that can let a spirit rise up in them and say, I'm going to become a giant killer. I'm going to become a giant killer. All right, I'm trying to close. I'm trying to close. I'm trying to close. You know, it's interesting. Ishbai Binob. What a crazy name, but it's got a meaning. And you know, really, basically, what the meaning is, is just sit down and be fruitful. In other words, just enjoy being a church member. Just show up, pay your tithes, sing the songs, clap your hands. That's what Ishbai Binob means. Just sit down and be fruitful. Just enjoy the fruits of somebody else's labor. That's what it means. And isn't it interesting? That's the giant David couldn't kill. I'm never going to defeat a spirit of just sit down and enjoy everybody else's worship. Sit down and enjoy everybody else's prayer. I'm never going to defeat that spirit. But some of you can. There is an Abishai under the sound of my voice tonight. There is somebody in this building that will become a Jonathan. There is a Sibakai somewhere here tonight in this service. And God is putting a call on your heart. Come on, some folks are worried about whether they'll ever get to lead the singing or they'll ever get to teach Sunday school. Why don't you worry about killing some giants right now? Let's get in there and fight with everything we've got. If we don't kill this giant, we're not going to need song leaders and Sunday school teachers. we got to fight a spiritual battle right now. I need an Abishai. I need an Abishai. I don't know. I don't know who else is sitting on these pews hanging by a very thread. They're doing their best, but they can't seem to shake it. They're doing their best. Jonathan in the house uh, that'll say don't worry help's on the way don't worry I'm gonna pray this off of you <sighs> hallelujah let me try to close let me try to close <sighs> oh God I've got a bunch more scriptures here, and I, don't, I really don't think I'm going to try part three Tuesday night. I think I'm just going to try to sum it up right now and leave it with you. But every one of us, every one of us need to recognize there are some spirits we can't kill on our own. We've got to have a brother or a sister to fight for us. The other thing we've got to realize is there are others here that are fighting things they can't destroy. And they need you. We rejoice at the great miracles that Peter performed. We rejoice at the wonderful message that Peter preached. But you know Peter had an old spirit that was after him. Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat.
Simon Peter, the devil has painted a bullseye on your chest. The devil's got you in his sights. He wants to bring you down. And you know he almost did it. You know he almost did it. He got out there at Calvary and they're trying to, trying to hook Peter up and trying to make him a part of Jesus' followers when they're about to put Jesus to death and Peter realizes they're going to put me to death too if they succeed with this. And they said, oh, you're one of his followers. No, I'm not. Somebody else came by and said, I saw you with him. No, no, that wasn't me. And a third person came by and said, you know, I, I remember you being a... And, and the Bible said that he cursed He's trying to prove to him he wasn't a Christian. Because Christians don't curse. So he's trying to prove to him he's not a Christian. So he cursed. But we know the rest of the story. The rooster crowed. Peter went out and wept bitterly and Peter repented and God picked him back up and God did a work in his life and used him mightily for the kingdom but I'm going to tell you Peter didn't get through that trial on his own if you're right there at Luke 22 31 put verse 32 up for me but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not Simon, I got bad news for you. The devil's got you in his sights. But I've also got good news. You're not going to have to fight this one alone. You got somebody in your corner. You got somebody that's praying for you. You got somebody that's going to help you beat this thing off of you. I'm telling you, it wasn't because Peter had enough within his character. It wasn't because he was strong enough on his own. But it's because somebody was praying for him. The Apostle Paul knew that. The Apostle Paul understood that. The Apostle Paul saw it. He recognized it. He went through so many things. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was lied on. They tried to kill him stoned him with rocks left him for dead ship torn apart from a storm he spent a night and a day in the deep had people that claimed to be Christians lying on him and yet what an apostle I'm going to tell you there's one thing that we need to understand about Paul he didn't survive all of that because he was a strong man. He didn't, he didn't survive all that because he had supernatural willpower. But repeatedly, repeatedly, get those scriptures. I, I, this is going to go real fast so you may not have time to get them on the wall, but, but, but somewhere, somewhere down there toward the end, starting with Romans chapter 15 and verse number 30, I want you to listen. This is a recurring theme in Paul's writings. Romans chapter 15, verse 30, read. Now I beseech you, I brethren. I beg you, my brothers, I beg you. For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, uh -huh. for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me. That you strive together with me in your prayers in your prayers to god for to me. god for me here's
here's what he said. I'm asking you, I need somebody fighting on my behalf. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this by myself. I've got too big of a job ahead of me. I've got too many devils that want to bring me down. And I'm not going to win it by myself. I'm begging you, brethren. Get in there and fight for me. Get in there and pray for me. 2 Corinthians 1.11 you also helping together by prayer. By for prayer us. for us. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. Watching the same with Watching the same with Thanksgiving. With all praying. With all praying. Also, also for, for us. us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Hallelujah. First Thessalonians 5:25. Brethren, Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Second Thessalonians 3 and 1. Finally, finally, brethren, brethren pray, pray for, us. for us. Philemon 1.22. But with all, but with all prepare, prepare me also, also a lodging. For I for trust, trust through, that your, through prayer, your prayer. I shall be given unto you. I shall be given unto you. And Hebrews 13 and 18. Pray, pray for us. Pray. I'm telling you, every time he's writing to somebody, he's saying, look guys, this is too big a battle for one man. This is too big a job for one individual. I don't have the strength in myself. I don't have the ability on my own. I need you. I need you. I need you. Pray for me. Pray for me. Please, 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 Brother Hilton, pray for me. Please pray for me. I'm not going to make it if somebody doesn't pray for me. Jaheim, please, please. If you've got nothing else to pray for, pray for me. I've got to have God's help. I need you to pray for me. Brother Nelson, please, please, please. I'm begging you. Get on your knees. Spend some time in prayer. I'm not going to make it. I've got devils that hate me. I've got to have help. Please pray for me. Please pray. Brother Chad, pray for me. I need somebody to pray for me. But not just me. Not just me. Every one of us have got to have others that will step in and fight the giants on our behalf. close tonight with a story I've told it here before it's been a while back I don't care how many times you hear it it still grips my heart I don't care how many times I've told it I did tell it in those sessions on Friday with those preacher's kids and I'm telling you tears stream down my cheeks again as though I myself was hearing it for the first time Let's, let's everybody stand. I promise you I'm closing. I promise you I'm closing. I think most of you, most of you are familiar with what's called the Special Olympics. If you're not, it is a unique uh, time of competition for those who have mental and physical challenges in their life. 
it is an opportunity for them to feel like they're on a level playing field with other athletes because there's no Olympic trained athletes in these games. Everybody there has a handicap of some kind. But it's a big deal to these kids because they spend so much of their life being put down, being made fun of, being mocked, feeling ostracized, feeling pushed away. But in those few days, they're able to get in there and do something. And somebody is going to have that gold medal draped around their neck. They may not be able to speak well. They may have one arm that's all drawn up. They may have one leg that's just dead weight. But at the end of this, some among those that nobody else has time for, they're going to be champions. They're going to be winners. It's a big thing to them. But I was told that several years ago, many, many years ago, during one of these Olympic, special Olympic uh, competitions, it was a race that was going on. And all of them were at the starting line, waiting in anticipation for their minute in the limelight. Their few moments of fame. They couldn't wait to give it their best because they knew their best didn't have to match up to what everybody else's best was. They're competing with people just like them. And when that gun was finally fired, and those children took off, some hobbling, some limping, some running awkwardly. And I'm not making fun. I'm just trying to describe the picture to you. They're giving it their best because somebody's going to be a winner today. And as they are pressing toward that goal, they hear a noise behind them, a clamor, and then a cry. And some of them start to turn and look. And there, laying on the track is one of the competitors he's scraped up he's bruised he's crying now you know for many athletes to see that would have put a smirk and a smile on their face and they would have said that's one more down that's one less competitor that brings me one step closer to winning but not these kids. As they begin to realize what was happening, one by one, they stopped and they turned. And they made their way back to their competitor. And they helped him up. And they got their arms around him. Stood him on his feet. 
And they said, come on. You may not feel like making it. But we're going to see to it. And with their arms wrapped around the one that was hurting, they said, let's go together. It doesn't matter anymore if I win. What matters is we're going to go together. I'm not leaving you behind. I'm not leaving you laying there hurting and crying. If we can't all win, then we don't care if nobody wins. You can count on me. I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you. Andrew, there's going to be times you're going to fall. There are going to be times you're going to get so scraped up. There's going to be times the bruises and the hurt are going to be screaming at you. Just lay here and forget it. Nobody cares. You had your chance and now it's over. But I want you to hear me, son. I promise you, I'm not going to leave you laying on that track. I'm not going to leave you laying on that track. for you I'm going to pick you up I'm going to help you face it I'm going to tend the wounds you don't have to run this race alone I'll be your Abishai I'll fight your giants You're going to make it. You're going to make it, son. You're going to make it. Jaheim, you don't have to run this by yourself. The devil tries to get you so frustrated. But understand, son, you're not running alone. I'm there with you. When you stumble, I'm not going to kick you make you stay down. You're getting back up. Because I'm going to put my arm around you. And I'm going to help you win this race. Because you know what? There may be a day that I'm the one that's laying on that track. Thinking, God, where to from here? What am I supposed to do now? How am I going to get through this? Thank God. Thank God. Thank God that in my moment of despair, I had an Abishai.
someone I know really cared. Someone I know felt my pain and cried out to God as if it was his own. Church, we spend too much time just focused on ourselves and our problems. I'm telling you, we got to get out there and find some hurting people. Find some people that are scraped up and bruised. They don't look the best now. The clothes are torn. They're dirty. They're bloody. And they're ready to just give up. I can't go any farther. I can't do anything else. I've tried and I can't. Somebody's got to be an Abishai for them. Somebody's got to go back and find them and pick them up. And walk with them until you cross the finish line together. These altars are open tonight. It's your turn. God's calling some giant killers tonight. God's calling some giant killers tonight. God's calling some giant killers tonight. Where are you, Abishai? Where are you, Elhanan? Where are you, Sibakai? Jonathan, we need you right now.